Well, hello and welcome to episode 155 of the 1099 for the week of July 2nd, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the full team that's making Sable, which was the most visually interesting and one of the biggest holy shit games of E3 2018. Gregorius Kithriotis and Daniel Feinberg. Guys, how you doing? Hello. Uh, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, very impressed you got my name, uh, my name pronunciation correct. Uh yeah. The amount of time I spent trying to get that right. I've gone through, I think it was four different pronunciation guides. Right, nice. Um, and the fact that I actually did get that right makes the entire podcast easy from here. That was my biggest like hurdle at the start of it. No, I'm very impressed. That's it. I think, We're done here. Yeah. I mean, I'll make it easier for you. You could just call me Greg from now on. Uh, oh, thank yeah, God. Yeah. I was going to ask you, but I, I thought I would no, go no. all in at the start no. and make it easier from there if I had to. Uh it's it takes a lot to stand out when you're part of this long indie montage every year it's either sony or microsoft that has just game after game after game and you have a lot of like oh that's cool or i might play that but sable completely grabbed me in a i need to figure out who made this and how this was done and luckily greg you already followed me on twitter which was wildly fortunate for me so before e3 what was both of your game plans when it came to how do we get noticed at this insane event where games are being announced and shown constantly? Well, we we have our publisher basically to thank for the whole strategic side of that. For for us, it was we kind of started this game about about a year ago uh, for like properly thinking about it, and I mean we we kind of knew it it looked like not vid- not a video game basically it didn't look like something that had been kind of previously made so we were we were confident that if we could get uh on the right stage and in front of people that we would stand out whether people would kind of react positively to it or uh, feel you know not be that interested in it uh was kind of a different issue but i think we just we knew that it looked different to what other people were showing um yeah but the the like the strategic side of it is totally down to David, uh, David Martinez, or Raw Fury. That guy has loads of friends, and he's super nice, and he's done E3 many times, whereas we have only done it once now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he just, yeah, they, they kind of sorted it all out in a way that, like, we couldn't, I, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah, David, um, yeah, David was definitely on the front lines, uh, and then there was uh, Luke and Gordon as well, kind of buzzing around doing other other bits. Uh, but yeah, it was it was uh, it was it was mad. Like we we never done anything like this before. We never we've never even shown a game at a conference before. Like kind of stood next because previously we'd kind of done like mobile um, free to play or like we'd been doing contract work stuff where we as developers didn't really show the game ourselves um and this or this wasn't actually that either this was just uh, kind of doing the um doing the the <laughs> stage event and then and then showing the game to journalists uh kind of privately in the lobby of the jw marriott hotel. yeah <laughs> um well, yeah. this being your first one of course you've probably seen a lot of e3 coverage in the past you understand what that press cycle is like but i know i made the comparison i saw other people saying that your game i called your game a prettier journey and i'm sorry for those expectations that i'm throwing your way <laughs> but can it be intimidating when you're seeing just this incredibly positive reaction because of course you're you know you're fist pumping you're excited about that you're excited it's going over well but you are now getting these comparisons and you're having these expectations build after this this debut project is that is the kind of a double-edged sword we've always had a list of 
you know, games in mind that we draw from. And I think we set our own bar, our own bar quite high. You know, we, we look at things like Breath of the Wild, things like the most recent Assassin's Creed, um, games that I think probably most indies wouldn't really look to because of the kind of scope of them. So, like, we've always had a very high bar. And then, obviously, you know, like, greats like Mobius and Studio Ghibli and stuff. Like, that is... I think it's always been quite ambitious, but obviously that's just what we tell ourselves in our shed. It's very different when you hear it from like, all these thousands of people. Yeah, and I think I think in terms of like the kind of fist pumping, like straight after, like it was it was sickening. It was it was just absolutely uh, like uh, I'm very glad I didn't eat before going up <laughs> on stage. Uh, it was it was just. Oh, um, yeah, like I said, we've never done anything like that. And you're aware of like maybe how many people are kind of watching and what the awareness is like. But uh, it, it puts a lot of pressure on you. Like uh, all I was thinking before that as well was just uh, I don't want to be a meme. I don't want to be a meme. Like that was <laughs> that was all that was yeah. running through my head. Uh, and like that I was I was just grateful to get through it and not uh, embarrass myself. And I think uh, we've kind of had a, a feeling of of sort of seeing all this like when we first started sort of posting gifts of the game and they, they did really really well and you know we got started getting lots of sort of followers and people interested in it and asking us questions and stuff and we totally didn't expect that, that either so I think we kind of had a little bit of experience of just sort of strangers suddenly knowing who you are but that was kind of all online yeah. and then after this happened you would kind of meet a person and shake their hand and they say oh what do you do and you say oh i'm working on sable and they're like oh sable <laughs> yeah that was kind of weird the first like having that happen in real life yeah that's something else in other yeah. countries as well like the first time it happened yeah. we we're in croatia and the, this guy <laughs> just like was just like oh you shared what's greg or shared what's dan and i was like what the <laughs> fuck yeah, like, well, okay yeah um but i think yeah i think it's just uh it's, it's been surreal and i mean that whole the whole of E3 was basically like a weird haze of like uh, just unreal kind of, you know, reaction to the game, but also just being kind of jet lagged in this kind of it like, yeah, I don't know, just everything about it was very strange. And we just spent the whole time in like a hotel lobby, almost just show talking about the game. And it was, I mean, I wouldn't say like fun or anything, but it was surreal. Um, it, yeah. it seems the kind of thing in retrospect that in the moment when you're jet lagged and when you're exhausted and when you're going from meeting to meeting and kind of just spouting off the same thing, you essentially become a robot. Like that's not exactly fun, but being able to look at yeah. that and seeing how far you've come compared to when you first started tinkering with this. And uh, the, the, the good part about your game, well, there's many good parts, but one of the really great parts is you're incredibly gifable. Like you can just put any screenshot or any sort of movement of your game on the internet and it's suddenly... Again, the comparisons start coming up. Breath of the Wild, there's there's Journey. But what I really liked, and I think this was at the, the PC game show that you were on the stage, when you're comparing your game, the, the inspirations, the different things, you are using video games, but you're also using like movies and, and TV and literature and other media. And I think that's important because if you just try to make something that's like other games, you might end up getting this bizarre amalgamation of things rather than, hey, I like this art style or this this theme that came out of a certain era or a certain type of cinema. And that's what I'm really into. So, I mean, in your own words, other like outside of games, what sort of inspirations do you, did you see and did you draw from to make the, the art style and also just the themes of Sable? 
Yeah, so I mean, it it's really important for us to pull from things that aren't video games. We kind of want to make a game that is something that people who maybe don't play video games right now or maybe have stopped playing video games in the last 10 years or so might be interested in jumping in on and being like, oh, actually, I'm really interested in playing this. And part of that is the references we pull from. So, uh, and, and and that feeds in from like our, our backgrounds as uh, graduates. So we started uh, shed work straight out of university um, and I studied architecture and Daniel studied English so our backgrounds we don't have game development backgrounds and we you know in in that in a sense it makes it quite difficult to move into an industry like this but it also means that we have a kind of diverse range of references to pull from when we're making something um, whether it's literary or architectural or you know it it I think that part of the our backgrounds feeds into what we make and then what we make maybe interest people who aren't traditionally interested in games. And I mean, part of that is also, you know, I think at the beginning you mentioned that we're the team, two people making game, but actually with it, with a core development team, but we have four other team members um, working in different roles. And I mean, uh, on the music side, uh, you can hear in a trailer, we have uh, uh, indie artist Japanese Breakfast on board and That's Michelle awesome. who... Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool, and Daniel kind of just DM'd her out of nowhere uh, after a well, it, was, uh, it wasn't after no, nothing, but it was after a Polygon article about a game that she made um, for to as kind of a promo thing for her last album, but also for fun, I think, and um, and it's sort of like bringing someone in who hasn't ever worked on a game in this sort of capacity before. Uh, and then I think that she has her own fans. And so when she tweeted about the game, kind of my, my favorite uh, part of like looking through responses on Twitter was like people who are like, I don't play video games, but um, I love your music and I will buy this game just to hear your music. And like, okay, we can grab people there. And maybe when, when they come in to like try this video game, what if this game is kind of accessible and interesting to people who don't like video games and they can they can actually be appreciate the medium in the way that you know we've always enjoyed um i think that's something that that is really important to both of us and always has been i I know that when you go to a conference like e3 uh people know that you're showing a game early pretty often especially if you're giving like behind closed doors or in your case like in a hotel lobby showing different media the demo and stuff like that But, but is there any fear was there any fear of showing a game like yours really early when you know a bunch of things could completely change by the time the game comes out because I thought I'd read or had heard you guys say that you've done about one year of full-time development on it and there's a lot of things that are going to shift as development goes on is there any sort of man are we you know cashing are we writing a check we're not able to cash later is a lot of things going to change have you thought about that yes (laughs) yeah it's always on your mind like we knew that we were going to do something at E3 from very early on but we kind of always assumed it would probably just be the trailer. Um, and, you know, things kind of go on and things shift and change. And then suddenly you've got three months to go and you need a playable demo because... Less than three months. You've got to go with, yeah, or less than three months even, yeah. <laughs> a lot so less. You've got to go to Judges Week and, like, show, show all the journalists and they need to be able to play it or you don't get into Judges Week. And, you know, there's... The demo is... It's not just that the game is early, it's that the demo was extremely rushed. Yeah. yeah. 
and uh, the dem- quite buggy. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. The de- I think it shows our intent though. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it like it, it's it the it's a game about atmosphere. It's a game about just kind of being alone with your thoughts and the feeling of sort of you know the loneliness of the desert and it doesn't really take that much technically to to kind of show that you know i think we really got that in the trailer and i think the demo from from like all the articles that we've seen you know the write-ups that people have done who did play it i think we did manage to to communicate our intentions there and obviously you know leading up to it it's obviously super stressful and it's crazy and it's yeah it, this thing doesn't even you know yeah it's 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 buggy it's early it's there's all these horrible graphical glitches that obviously only i notice um but i think we actually did a really good job with the time that we had yeah it's kind of just game development like you know the first yeah. gifts we showed were um i mean yeah. the, the first gifts we showed there was no video game it was basically a concept gift yeah. um which is kind of a weird concept now like you know when you kind of think about it but we it was a like five dollar hover car asset we used and then we just changed the model on it and then we put it in some sand dunes and we're like and then daniel wrote some amazing shaders i mean we've been thinking about this game for two years and i mean we tried getting funding elsewhere but it hadn't quite happened for various reasons and then we finally um you know we finally had we carved out a bit of time for ourselves to work on it and uh we we shared we you know we shared what we're working on and uh people seemed into it you know we we thought of this as a really niche thing initially but it it kind of uh you know the the sort of appeal that we found we had uh sharing the gifts and stuff was allowed us to then look for funding and and spend you know commit to this full time whereas before we were like you know, maybe this will be a hobby project for six months to a year. Hopefully, we'll make our money back on it. But if we don't, this is this is just what we want to make. Um, yeah. And- but it was exactly the same thing of like, we've only done you know a couple of, even just a couple of weeks work on like the graphics for this thing, and there is there is no video game behind it, and then it totally exploded. And you know, we had loads of we had a solid idea of where we thought the game was going to be, um, but yeah, it was. I think the game because the visuals are so strong we've always been able to draw quite a lot of attention even when there's very very little video you probably had so many people on twitter see those gifts and be like oh when can i play this how can i get this and you're like guys this isn't even a video game yet like this is just these are just assets and like pretty little flourishes I'm asking the same questions when when they're asking them like when can I play this I don't I'm like yeah okay uh, yeah. But, what console think, that's a good question we'll um, we'll find out yeah. like we'll see what happens what consoles are going to be out in like two and a half years time yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you mentioned you do have some additional team but it is you guys in a shed more often than not really just going all in on this thing and you did before say there's like this three month lead up to like are we just gonna have a trailer can we be able to put a demo together uh you both know the crunch is this major conversation in all game development where people are always talking about the, yeah. the number of hours you put in especially before something like e3 is it hard mm. to personally manage that when in this shed of yours when you know that you're coming up to this conference where you can 
you can really explode. You can take this thing to the next level. You can get a lot of eyes behind it. You can make it this really memorable game for me, E3. But to do that, you're going to have to push in these three months to make a demo that, sure, it's buggy, sure, it might break, but it needs to be functional. Is Are you kind of keeping each other in check in terms of crunch and workload and making sure, like, hey, we're going to try to hit this, but we can't spend every hour in the next three months just pouring over it? I think, um, well, I think we had quite different roles here in a, in a sense, because um, for, for Daniel, it was mostly, you know, making, looking over stuff, making sure things were like technically sound. Um, but there was, it wasn't about like adding kind of new bits in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff that Daniel worked on primarily were like tools for the, so we had someone helping us make the trailer at Raw Fury. Um, and he and Daniel worked together on, on focusing on like what's, the easiest way to make the best trailer possible and that actually paid off really well for when it came to making the trailer um because it meant that but nobody has to read my code yeah <laughs> nobody has to like no one's ever going to see it yeah it's just for me and for the team yeah whereas with greg it's you know it's the art it's the visuals like yeah people are going to look at this and, they, and this is greg's work this is yeah. It's a, so, yeah, yeah, I think there was probably more pressure on Greg. It was a different yeah. process, definitely. Like I, for me, I, I was, I was working myself to the bone, and that was just because, well, partly the shed is in my parents' garden, and I, I'm living with my parents at the moment, so it's something that I can't get away from uh, super easily, and so it, it's constantly on my mind. I'm also slightly more kind of anxious person than Daniel naturally, uh, and so. I'll get an idea and I'll, I'll feel the need to just go do it. But also like, I think, yeah, it, it was, <laughs> yeah. Also the game was just, didn't have that much kind of uh, visual content at that, at the point when we yeah. decided to go free, free. Um, we kind of had a lot of, um, we'd done a lot of uh, backend work uh, since we signed for Raw Fury. We'd been working on tools and design stuff that would allow us to do stuff in the future. But it meant that, um, when it when it came to E3 stuff, we didn't actually have that much. So a lot of it was just production, uh, producing stuff for that three month period. And yeah, it was it was it was quite tough. Um, but I, you know, I think, and I, I don't want to do it again for this project. But I no. for for I don't I don't regret it now because it for me E3 would have been optimal to have in October. But yeah. it's just not going to happen in October. So, you know, we either wait till next year or we go for this E3. And this E3 came up as an opportunity. And so we just had to take it. And sometimes you just have to do that, which, you know, is is kind of, you know, is, is part of the problem in a way. It's just, it's just you're dealing with these hard deadlines. But in a lot of ways, it's really useful. Like it, it meant that a lot of decisions that... I have to make in in like the moment with just like art stuff just like what does this look like um i just have to make it on the spot and it means that you get this kind of more instinctive kind of uh artistic style that i think when you have a lot more time to work with you i i tend to overthink things and like spend a lot more time ruminating on like and that, that's also useful um but but this is just a different process. Um, yeah, going with yeah. your instincts is probably pretty good in that way. Like, I, I have a journalism degree, so I've been on deadlines most of my life. And sometimes you want to be able to pour over something. You want to be able to weigh the options and put, like, four things in front of you and be like, all right, what works the best? But in your case, leading up to E3, it's, all right, I, I think this is the best choice. I would like to experiment, but we don't have time to do that. We're going with this one. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think the the shed the shed really does make a difference there, though. In that, yes, we we work in the same room every day. You know, we go to work and we're there. You know, nine till five or ten till six or whatever, and and we have a full working day. And us being in the same room means that, like, yes, we are pushing it ourselves hard, but you're, we're not doing it alone. And we when we do it, when we when we commit to, you know, putting loads of time into this particular thing. We we can sit down and have the discussion properly with each other about like exactly why we're doing what we're you know wh- why we're choosing to focus on the things we're choosing to focus on yeah and it, yeah it, it, it keeps it professional it, as well I think like yes. I think for for me as well you know when I was studying architecture I was doing a lot more a lot more uh, time basically just like I would work till four or five a.m. every night mm. um, without fail and uh, then I'd wake up at you know, nine or 10 and go again. And it was, it was unprofessional hours. It was, you know, I'd, when I go to bed, it would be daylight and I'd be like wrapping a, I didn't even have anything to cover my eyes, but it was too bright in my room. So I couldn't sleep. So I'd like wrap my, like jump around my eyes just so I could sleep it. And I like, just to get like two or three hours sleep or, you know, whatever I could get in my stress state of mind, but having a kind of professional, environment to go to with someone else so this is this is the key thing because i was working in the same space but i wasn't working with someone else it means that uh, i know i have to be up at a certain time of day and that when daniel leaves i know right right okay this is kind of like the natural time to end so i can just go end my day now and uh, and not feel any guilt about it whereas when i was say a student it was uh and no no kind of um nothing to to measure myself against uh in that sense so it's it's definitely no one to just stop and tell you that this is a bad idea yeah that yeah. too. this is not going to work yeah that too and and you know you make you make better decisions and you you kind of uh it, you know some sometimes i think on the art side you do i've personally find that i i you know i make decisions at pivot points and then i uh i need to just sit down and i put a bunch of podcasts or audiobooks in and I just like I'm like a machine and I'll just produce um but if I'm for a lot of other people they work in totally different ways um and I mean yeah it's it's something that I'd never ask anybody else to do um I do it no. I do it when I like to do it but I don't encourage anybody else to work in the same way so it, yeah yeah it's one thing to do it for yourself and to do it for your own game and your own company and you know we're super lucky to have our own game in our own company. Yeah. But I would never ever ask it of any of the other team members because no. Y- yeah, that's our decision to make for ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Because you know it's our future. It's our you know this is our shot. But it yeah. is probably super yeah, useful it, that you guys do work together. And it's not just one person in the shed. Because I was going to ask before Greg, like because you have this this shed in essentially the backyard the entire time. Yeah. You can always just there's there's that. There's that desire, that compulsion, just be like, well, instead of watching Netflix for two hours, I'm just going to go tinker with this thing for another two hours because the shed's right there. I don't need to drive to the office. I don't need to, you know, call other people to unlock it or anything like that. It's right there. But because you kind of have each other there, you can feel good once that day is actually done and be like, all right, like we can get back to this tomorrow because I've had uh, Greg Miller on this podcast who does kind of funny. And early on, when you're starting a business, there's this sense that, 
I need to put everything into it to make sure it works because other people are doing that. That's the expectation. But when you're measuring yourself with your coworker in your case, you probably don't have that as much as when you were in college and working on uh, individual projects. It's true. I mean, I think, I think early on, especially I, I, because we came from backgrounds outside of games uh for me i wanted to get like a technical grounding in the field so i would work evenings to try and like i'd try and do little experiments uh, other things that we weren't necessarily working on as well because we were working on stuff that uh wasn't necessarily uh the reason that we were in we were making video games so i had a couple of like side projects i just did for fun but also just to get a kind of creative outlet for, for myself um and it also was a thing where there was an anxiety that like, right, we're not earning it, especially again, especially early on, we're not earning any money. Um, it's really hard to earn money and we need to earn some money. So the more, I, the harder I work, the quicker we will eventually earn money. Yeah. And it, it's, it's not true. Um, I mean, a lot of, but it's hard to break yourself out of that mentality um, at this, yeah. but but it's much it's a it's a privilege to be in a position now where it's just uh, if if it's if you have a big deadline where you're saying to yourself, right, well, I'm just doing this because I want to do this, but we're totally fine financially if I don't do this, and that is that is where we're at now, and and that's such a such a big difference. You know, the pressure is so different, um, and I think that's really important. You know, it becomes less of a have to and becomes more of a want to and as soon as it as soon as it goes from want to you know as soon as it goes from want to have then you have a problem um yeah that's kind of no i could totally see that you don't want to be working from a place of if i stop then i might run out of money like i might not be able to keep going because suddenly the funds dry up and you did mention before kind of tinkering after hours with different uh different projects kind of like hey i need to learn these certain technical aspects to be able to fully make a game because you didn't come from a background of games and i just recently joined a development team i'm out in la and i don't have a game development background i was in media i was in other aspects before you're learning how different each role is you know we have producers we have programmers we have uh character uh we have a character artist we have combat designers, all these different people. So have you had to learn a bunch of different skills along the way to round out your skill set to be able to do all these different things? Or has that kind of been where you've leaned on these additional team members that you discussed earlier? We've got to learn pretty much everything. (laughs) At least a bit. Yeah. Like, yeah, there are things that we will net, you know, like animation, it takes years of very, very hard practice to become a very good animator. And, nobody could become an extremely good animator and also an extremely good sound designer at the same time like you kind of there are certain things that you just have to pick it and stick with it and like i think for me personally programming is kind of one of them like i i've never really tried to learn any of the art side of stuff because programming is kind of infinite there's a there's a there's a infinite list of things that you could learn in the field and and there's always new languages to learn or new uh, like bits of maths and, and theory and stuff to learn and so it's kind of like I have to just sit down and focus on that as much as possible and then I guess that sort of means that like Greg then has to like Greg you use like how many pieces of software yeah, I, just, uh, yeah. I just use Unity and I just type out code but you must use like 
I use five or six pieces of software. Yeah, on a daily basis, and then and then you're probably branching out to like another five or six, depending on what I'm doing. And on top of you know art and design, uh, you know, uh, and when I was when I first started, I was using like architecture software to design stuff, which was kind of weird. I kind of wouldn't mind going back to that a little bit. Is like I was using AutoCAD, which I know there are many people in games using AutoCAD, but. Um, but then, but then, when you start to talk about right, okay, we need like a, a tax return done, or a, you know, it, it becomes a. That's the stuff that I personally struggle the most with. It, it's 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 one thing to go from right, I'm drawing, I'm drawing this, and then I'm three D modeling something else, um, and then it's another thing to just go right, okay, and now I'm doing a, a tax return. Now I'm doing payroll, and that is like it, it's the mental switch there uh, more than like worrying about the technical side of things because the technical the kind of like oh how do you save a file in this program or whatever um you know once you've figured it out you figured it out but it's the kind of it's the flicking a switch mentally and going right okay now i've got to think slightly differently and now i have to question like the decisions i made in this other role um and that that can be really difficult um and I th- but i think um Again, it's one of these things that as we've kind of, uh, you know, as we've done it more and as as we've kind of gotten into a more fortunate position where we're working on a game that we actually really want to work on and we have a, uh, you know, we have uh, a publisher supporting us and we have team members that we can bring on in different roles, um, it's just a, a massive uh, burden kind of lifted off, off our shoulders. But the other thing is... Um, you know, we the, the the shed itself is such a big uh, benefit to us. Like it, it, it meant that we could survive as a company, especially at the beginning, because our overhead is zero. Yeah. So it meant that we're not paying for office space, especially in London, which is just the pricing. The you know what you're paying. You know, if you if you're in LA or like you know, you'll kind of maybe understand. Mm. that stuff but i i think you know it's ridiculous and it's it's completely unaffordable but the the shed having this space has meant that we could sustain ourselves on not a whole lot of money which meant that what all we had you know we we couldn't afford to hire people but we could afford to spend the time to learn something to a basic level and uh now we're getting to the point where maybe we can hire people in key roles and uh and although we don't want to expand as a company, um, you know, we, we do really want to keep things, the two of us, for as long as we can. Um, we, at least in terms of permanent roles, um, we, you know, we don't have to, if, if there's something we really can't do, we can we can kind of bring someone in to help us with that. Um, and that's, that's such a crucial thing. Someone who's really good at it yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, it's like Greg has probably done a little bit of animation and, and you know you, you admire your modeling mm-hmm. which is you know the software that animators will use like yeah you can learn a bit of it but it's again it's the sort of thing where now because we have when we didn't have any sort of money we were very time rich and money poor and now we have a budget we have deadlines you know the money will eventually run out if we spend too long on something it, the decision switches to like is it you know how long would it take me it, am i even capable of learning this thing you know could i even be an animator it's 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 now about like okay how long would it take me to get good enough at this thing and with our you know with our timetable with our schedule with our budget 
how much money would that cost the company? You know, us just like sitting in the shed and just learning new software costs the company money. And so it suddenly becomes like, well, okay, so how much would how much money would it cost to hire someone else to do that? You know, someone else who already knows how to do yeah. this. How much money would it cost to just get them on board and get started straight away? Yeah. And so uh, that's a thing that we've had to kind of learn to. That's a, that's a that's a different mindset that we've had to kind of come to understand. And it's this is the first time we've ever actually been in that position where yeah. we could realistically bring someone else in to do this and. You know, sometimes sometimes it is like, oh, uh, you know, we can probably get by without it, or maybe we will just see how it goes and you know reevaluate in six months' time, and maybe you know it's not going fast enough or it's not up to standard, and then we can think about bringing someone on. Um, but yes, it's a much more, I suppose, professional way of thinking about things. Yeah, um, I think as well, like. Uh, it's important not to lose the like, oh, I, I want to learn this thing as well. Because that's, you know, that is a big part of our jobs that is can be quite fun. It's just like, I learned this new skill and I got to try my hand at it. And yeah, not necessarily talking about big kind of professions of things, uh, but more just kind of, you know, I, I want to I wanna learn how to, how to use like a, a substance designer to create my like uh, endless procedural textures or whatever. And, uh, you know, you could hire someone who already knows that, but maybe it's something that we want to learn and be like, okay, this is something I know now. And maybe, maybe, maybe I don't even use it myself for this game, but having a knowledge of it also really helps me to have conversations with my colleagues about it and understand what difficulties they might have. And that can affect, you know, how I work on something else. So it's, it's, it's one of those things that you have to find a balance for and, uh, and, you know, it's always, always that kind of, uh, there's always that graph of like, oh, I'm learning this thing. I think I know loads about it. And then like you learn, you get over that initial hump where you're like, oh yeah, this is quite easy. Like, oh, I'm figuring it out. And then, and then you get over that hump and you start seeing like how much depth there is to like this one particular thing that you decided to try and learn. And you yeah. start to figure out like, ah, crap, like, the, like, and then, and then it becomes, you know, then you make kind of want to make a decision but, um, but yeah, as long as you're still enjoying yeah. it like you mentioned as long as you still want to do yeah. that as long as like when you're you're in there you're like all right you're not sitting there like oh god i can't believe i have to learn this specific tool if you actually have the desire to do it that probably adds a lot to it and one thing that indies very often have to learn about is pr and promotion which really isn't something you have to go too far into mm. because you have this publisher because you have the support system that's going to help kind of position your game to be in the best spot yeah. but i remember talking to teddy lee from Celador games they did rogue legacy and then most recently they did uh full metal furies and yeah. i i remember that i don't know how it's gone since then but during that podcast that was like right when they released and they just didn't have any buzz for it i, I love that game and i think it's one of the better games this year and it's kind of this natural evolution of what rogue legacy did and rogue legacy killed it sales wise and yeah. name value wise and their new game just didn't find that audience and it could change and it might have already changed i haven't kept up with it but have you thought a lot about how you want to position this because e3 was huge for you these gifts you're putting out are great people immediately see that and say even if i don't love games i want to play that i want to see that i i just like looking at this thing but even great games that start out big and buzz can yeah. fall by the time they actually come out have you thought about beyond the publisher how you want to handle getting this out there to people well, I mean, it took us a long time to figure out how to talk about this game. And I mean, it was one of the things that we 
we almost avoided from the get-go was uh, people would be like what is this game people would think it was like a pod racing game or something and, <laughs> and we were just oh, we were just happy a pod racing game now that you say yeah. that out loud that yeah. sounds great well, yeah it's a hundred massive fan of uh pod racer yeah the, like the episode one yeah a hundred, hundred hover bikes on an island and yeah that's yeah. it that's what we're making no i mean it, it did it did take a long time to figure because we could communicate to each other because we worked with each other for a while you know what the game is from the get-go we kind of knew right it, it it's it's an open world there's an exploration game there's there's no combat it's just about narrative like okay fine um that was kind of what we we're talking about but then you try and talk to you try and talk to anyone a publisher or press or and and you say those things and you don't know what kind of references they're pulling from and it was one of the things that like uh you know talking to the pc gamer guys before we went up on stage here were like they 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 could pick up on that straight away and they said well we think it's really important with our audience to establish what the game isn't in terms of being say an open world game mm. because there are certain kind of uh, there are certain expectations when it comes to that particular genre um and that was why we wanted to establish really early on there's no combat it's not about like rpg systems or anything like that it, it is about the narrative and it is about uh the experience and i think you know finding ways of communicating that was really difficult early on and in terms of uh the pr side like that was that's kind of a discussion that we even had to have with the raw fury kind of pr people before we signed which they were kind of like we don't we don't know how to talk about this game yet and and we couldn't tell them how to talk about the game when we first signed so it was it was almost on faith at that stage how to talk about it um and eventually we've kind of figured it out as there's more game and uh, as we've spoken to more people, uh, you almost, you, you every time you talk about it, you kind of refine it a little bit more. Um, but in terms of like strategy and grand, you know, uh, on our end, we kind of let the Raw Fury guys worry about that and then have a, have a chat every... Yeah, I mean, we were talking earlier about how like just how early it was when the first gifts sort of started taking off. Like there was no strategy behind that. That was just... Yeah, we made the thing that we thought was cool, kind of because we were bored of something else, and then like, it totally exploded. And yeah, that like, we didn't sit down and do a market something analysis about like, oh, <laughs> open world games are really big nowadays and stuff. We it was just the game we wanted to make, um, and so yeah, the the strategy stuff has had to come. We've had to kind of catch up with ourselves and work it out as we go. But I think now we are pretty good at it. I think that, like, yeah, you, th there's only so many conversations you can have before you eventually, you just, you get that, like, opening sentence down, like, open world desert exploration game with no combat. <laughs> and then, and then like, yeah, it's it, it's a skill. It's a skill, and, and you're right, it's a skill that not all indie developers have. It's certainly something that no one starts with, and... It was something I never really thought about doing or getting good at. You know, I, I, I'm a programmer. I like programming, but I'm not amazingly good at talking to people. Um, That's like the crazy yeah, part of just, all of this know, is thing, yeah. like, like it's not natural for a programmer or maybe a concept artist or a combat designer to immediately think about how am I going to position this and sell this once I actually make it. They just prefer the I want to yeah. make this thing cool part. But it's kind of yeah, incredible exactly. how... You can see a game that maybe takes three, four, sometimes five years that turns out incredibly, but if it's not positioned the right way, 
it's considered a quote unquote failure because it just like you you don't recoup those costs you don't get it as wide as it should have been and all it would have taken was the right person or the right people saying like all right here's how you have to show this here's who you need to get this in front of or tweak this one thing and suddenly you're you're available for this wide audience and setting expectations i think is a super smart conversation to have and i'm not going to try to like you know just trash the no man's sky developers i enjoy a lot of aspects of that game but that was an issue of maybe saying a lot of what it might be instead of what it isn't and you mentioned before it's important to say what our game isn't it doesn't have combat it doesn't have these specific aspects so did you at any point feel pressure to add combat to add guns to add swords or anything to sable or do you feel like the games that have come before you like journey and i know gone home is not anything like your game but there's these games that have established this genre of it's okay to make something that is more about delivering a story rather than delivering a combat experience did you feel like people had kind of paved the way for a game like sable already i think very early on well you know before we when it was just the like kind of chucking ideas around stage obviously you do you know we had the, the conversation about like you know we play games with lots of combat in and we enjoy them and they are the sorts of things that we gravitate towards, but it's as much about like combat is a lot of work. Yeah. Combat, you know, it takes, there's a lot of design involved. There's a lot of iteration involved. There's an enormous amount of animation involved. There's like, even from the very start, we like, we knew that we didn't want to, a game with combat just because of the experience that we wanted to create. But even from the very beginning, when we were kind of planning, well, what can we make? You know, we are just two people. You know, we need to be able to finish this thing. Like, and we need to be able to finish this thing. You know, this is back when we didn't know that we were going to have all of this reception and, and have an actual budget for it. And so we had to think about, like, well, okay, what's a video game that we could make just the two of us? You know, a small, like, reasonably scoped video game that we could make. And so from the very start, I think we, like, we talked about it, but we pretty quickly dismissed it because... Well, we, yeah, it's as much about just the practical implications of getting it done. Well, I think the biggest the biggest thing with this game versus, say, our previous games is we decide to focus on our strengths, and um, yeah. like we decided, right, let let's look at our background. And, and I think for me as well, I just I was getting, <laughs> I like I don't know if if I kind of voice this or not at the time, but I was getting extremely like frustrated working on stuff that didn't have like an architectural tilt because that's what I wanted to do in games and that's what I knew I was really good at um I had training in and so for me I was I was kind of getting on a personal level kind of frustrated that I wasn't able to express that um but we kind of didn't feel like we could because the types of games that a lot of indies were making were kind of these um you know, maybe uh, more arcadey experiences, um, which you, you can do with an architectural tilt, but uh, not the kind of training that I had necessarily. And and I think, um, like, that was one of the things, but also Daniel's kind of English background meant that we had a lot of uh, literary references to pull from. Um, and, and we kind of wanted to make something that, right, okay, if we actually, you know, pull out and look at ourselves instead of looking at the industry... How, what is the game that we should make? Um, and I think it was the first time we kind of actually did that too. And like, look, what are we interested in? Not what are other people who, like, uh, what are the games that are coming out right now? What are they, what are people interested in there? But what are we interested in making ourselves? And it was the first game that we really 
play to our strengths, I think. And and in a way, I think if we tried to make it two years earlier, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been as good. Um, you know, it it, no. it but but we still would have been playing to our strengths, which I kind of still wish we did. Um, but T- timing is so, incredible with this stuff. Yeah. You mentioned before, if it was out two yes. years earlier, it might have not been as good, or might not have hit as hard. And like that is, that is just how games are now, and that's the the incredible and terrifying balance of it. Where if you start making a battle royale game right now that comes out in two years, it might be too late. In the same yeah. way that all these MMOs that came out as soon as all of the mm as soon as the bubble bursts yeah. suddenly you're like oh no like the i mean the elder scrolls online has done well but it came out right at the tail end of that Final fantancy 14 exactly and like th- that has the massive you know name value but they started probably making that yeah. five years before or something like that when it yeah, seemed it like totally flopped. it was this endless well you could draw from so i mean you do mm. since you did mention that maybe it wouldn't have worked two years ago uh, why do you think that is was it a certain theme of the game was it the look was it the style is it the gameplay what do you think makes it whenever it actually does come out what do you think makes it really relevant well i was thinking more from a technical standpoint than anything Mm. else like our well one our skill sets but but when we first started making games the like image effects weren't free on unity and like we rely really really heavily on image effects for our art style so it's just like that one basic thing that unity decided right we're going to make this free now uh like access to this just meant that we could try out this art style and like that one thing was not available okay maybe not two years ago but four years ago and and then subsequently you know our camera system right now daniel was literally about to start building our camera system and that would have taken i don't know how long like you know three or four weeks of time and it still would have been you know needed constant iteration throughout development um and then i think it was like the day before you were going to start unity released cinemachine for free and we just integrated cinemachine and that saved us like a chunk of time so it's just things like that happening right now in games that that feel like they're lining up really well for us but also our personal technical abilities like i think would have been way harder to do what we we're doing now um but i didn't know how to write shaders two years ago yeah, like, yeah. i just couldn't have done it yeah <laughs> I, that, I mean that that probably helps me <laughs> learn that for this uh, yeah. related and here's also the dumbest question i'm going to ask you today uh how did you make the game look so damn good and i know like you could probably go deep into the technical side of it but is there some secret out there that other people don't know that you suddenly figured out? And of course, there's been other games that maybe have gone for a similar thing. But again, when I saw it, I was like, "That, what the fuck? What is that? I need to, I need to play that." What is the secret sauce? Unless you don't want to share it, and then suddenly like, well, you let everyone else know what you're doing. So yes, there is a secret. I'm not going to break it down technically, but I will say that I did just. I found it on Google. I was just, you know, googling stuff like how to do good edge detection in unity and like that's basically how everyone does anything in unity is just (laughs) google it look for forum posts look for like stack overflow questions about oh how do i do this thing or there's this part of the rendering system that like looks really promising but is very poorly documented and like what does this actually do and yeah like i didn't invent the technique that we're using I stole it from someone else. Well, I, I, like, I wrote it. I wrote our version I'd of it. I'd say you borrowed the, the, it. We, 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 you borrowed yeah. it from someone else. I mean, else. that's how everything works, yeah. right? Like, that's how all technical achievements are done in, like, fields as complicated as this one. Um, but, yeah, like, my secret weapon is Google. <laughs> yeah. I, and, I mean, from, from, like, a more, 
you know, creating art assets perspective for me has always been, well, there's a really good talk by uh, Izzy Grant and uh, Mike Blackney, uh, who uh, he's making a game called Dead Static Drive, you might have seen on Twitter. Um, it looks amazing. And Izzy Grant does these uh, beautiful photo- photographs uh, of like all sorts of things. But they did a talk about aesthetic and developing your your own aesthetic i guess and a lot of that is just looking is just looking at things and a big part a big part of that for me is just i know i know it gets a lot of hate and rightfully so is is using pinterest and just developing i i had for yeah the last two and a half years just this i have this enormous pinterest board of just literally i don't know how many different uh, pins i have on it but you know in the thousands it's a mess yeah um but it 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 helped me to cultivate a kind of um style really and and that that goes you know not not i'm not talking now about like oh we want to do an outline i'm talking now about right how does this character feel what you know what sort of colors are we are we looking to use what sort of mood are we trying to evoke and that was something that took a long time to to really uh, cultivate and it's something that i'm constantly on a personal level, cultivating and, and, and shaping and thinking about and, and looking at. Um, and I mean, that that's the kind of, that's, you know, just look at things and, and sketch things and draw things and think about, yeah, it, it takes time. It's not something that you can just sit down with a piece of paper and be like, right, what's my style? Okay, here's my style. It, it just appeared in front of me. It, it takes, it take you have to sculpt it out of, you know, and, and that comes from looking, I think. Yeah. A, a big part of that is just, you know, where, where do you pull your inspiration from? It can be, like I said, Pinterest. It can be comic books. It can be, right, I go, f- I live in the, I don't know, in the Peak District and I go for walks a lot. Uh, I think that's like basically what Proteus is, right? Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it can be anything, but, uh, you know, really... I, th- I think really engaging with that sort of side of it and looking at it and and, and thinking about it a lot is it's just important and underrated and under under and not talked about very much. It's just like how important kind of ruminating on on like what you think looks well, good and yeah. like what you yeah what what makes you feel different like why does this thing make me feel that way? What about it? And sometimes it's hard to even um, you know. Uh, make words to evoke those feelings but yeah I really recommend that talk um, for anyone who wants to kind of uh, think about that stuff and try and try and cultivate their own aesthetic uh, it's really you're not the only really one who good. uses Pinterest our entire team is currently yeah. doing the exact same thing where it's just pin after pin after pin doing very similar to what you said of just the nail down the, the feel and the style of this and can we find enough you know different parallels to draw from and we've talked a lot about you know what goes into making a game like this and what it looks like but last major thing here thematically what are you most trying to hit home and kind of what's your strategy for actually conveying that because there's a lot of games out there that are very direct with their themes that are telling you exactly this is how you should feel these are the conversation these characters are having but then not to keep going back to journey you have something like that which is pretty when you really sit down and think about it it's pretty clear what it's saying but it doesn't directly say it to you you have to pay attention to the environments the ups and the downs there's the very very down moments and then this jubilation you feel once the colors change and the music changes what themes are you going for and how are you going to communicate those 
So I think one of the, I mean, one of the things that we've always talked about is like a sense of, uh, I guess, loneliness and and just exploring the world, I guess, but and and discovery and just that that goes for both, like a kind of literal right. I'm exploring this thing, these ruins, this this fallen ship, this place, this town, or it can go for a more kind of. Uh, you know, I'm exploring this character. I'm finding out about her. I'm finding out about who she is, and and that's something that we've always we've been kind of really uh, we've always talked about in every kind of decision we've made. Uh, you know, is it we've made every design decision to kind of pivot around that. You know, as much as possible. But I think the other thing is that we really want to try and convey is that like this is a game about a place. And not about you saving this place or changing this place. It's a it's a game about a, a a world that also has a history and has a future. And you are a character in this place, but it will kind of you know you you're not you're not gonna necessarily be the like Alexander the Great or anything of this yeah. world. You know you 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 just you're a person in this culture more or less. Yeah. Yeah, and I think probably the, so. The other side of that is that you are a person. You ha- you live here. This is where you know. This is where Sable comes from. This is her home. You know, it's not a. It's not alien to her. It's every day. It's normal. Like she has a family. She grew up. She had a childhood. Like I think that that's something that video games are really good at creating places and kind of dropping you in them and saying, "Look at all these shiny things. Look at all these secrets. Like go and explore it." But um, I think it's really important for us that we want it to feel like this is her home. This is her discovering about, and and, and what that means is that when you are disco- you know, when you are uh, exploring geographically, the character is also explore. You know, she's exploring. She's not just learning about um, a culture. She's learning about her culture. Yeah. She's learning about the history of her own people, and so it means that kind of the act of just like running around in this place for the first time is also a kind of like it, it's it's simultaneously about uh explore like you the player exploring the place but it's also about her exploring her identity and so just the act of playing the game of being in the world like is a kind of story in itself mm. um and yeah that's that was always super important right from the start i see and that's fascinating because i think in that you're avoiding two major tropes where a lot of games do stranger in a strange land where because they're new to the area that's more of an exposition tool in my mind than anything else that you're seeing things for the first time and your character's asking these questions that you the player are thinking so you're able to explain these things away and i think it'll be interesting to see how you handle someone who's who's been there all their lives they're seeing these things that to you who's playing you're like what the fuck is that? But the character knows. The character's been there. They, yeah. that, that's that's their home. The stuff that we find normal. Or even if she's never, even if she's never actually been to this particular ruin, she might have heard about yeah. it. You know, she might have. There might be a story that everybody knows about this place and about its historical significance. And then that means that the act of actually going there for the first time is super meaningful to her. Like, oh, I've heard about this place. Like, you know, and you know, maybe it lives up to the story, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's kind of dusty and empty and boring and she's not that impressed by it but like yeah it just gives gives her an emotional um motivation for being there like and yeah i think that that's something that video games 
villains often struggle with. Yeah, and not having to save the world. Like that's that's the major one. You're not yes. there because there's this this meteor about to crash into this land and you need to find a way to stop it. You're exploring your own personal journey. And I think that that feeling of loneliness and isolation is hard to nail when the little things don't matter. The little things don't matter when there's an army coming or a meteor about to you know, plop down. When you're having these more personal yeah. moments and you're discovering things without the fear of imminent doom, you're able to have these these kind of interpersonal character moments where you're like oh this means more because that's what this game's about and again going back to gone home like these these little stories about this person and their life and this coming of age and all these different aspects of it those mean more because there isn't this big bad in the background there's just this um and that's hard to do because maybe someone will be like but i want those big things i, I want to have this major purpose I, I think it's like the hard part is communicating like no it's it, the little things are allowed to be not just important, but the big thing technically. Um, but that's it's why I'm simultaneously really. It's why I simultaneously really love, and I'm kind of disappointed by Final Fantasy 15 yep. because there's this like crazy story about saving the. I don't even really know what the plot of that game. I don't is, think but, they like, do. If that helps, and, yeah. and and like you're 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 a king, and I don't know. You you do you like travel through time and save humanity and all of that. But like if you forget about that stuff and the game does mostly forget about it for like the first 60% or whatever, it's just a game about like driving, you're just going on a road trip yeah. just with your friends. And like, it's about camping and taking photos and meeting people and like cooking dinner. And that's and like that's those the moments part. in that game are amazing. They're so good. I've never really seen a game like properly explore just like the feeling of like going on a journey with a group of friends, like as well as that game does it. But then there is this like weird dissonance where like we're supposed like we're going on this camping trip and we're like going around and looking at the you know going fishing and stuff. But like the world like the world is the world really needs saving right now and like it's that feeling of like, I need they're to hanging go. around waiting for us to like get there and like trigger that cutscene yeah. and like fight the big monster and yeah that's where that game falls down and i still fully agree because you have this sense of they're basically yelling like you need to do this before something bad happens and you're like but i want to fish but i want to check out this cave and i I think if that game was just an extended vacation with your friends where there's no imminent doom that's an immediately better game yeah Yeah. no it's a huge reference for us because yeah i just i love that i love that side of it we're talking a lot recently about the just like getting in the car and sitting in the car and how both of us, neither well, neither of us skipped those like very often. And for me, I'd often just like get my phone out and kind of like as if though I was in the back of a car and occasionally look up <laughs> and listen to the conversations. And then like five, ten minutes later, I'd like be at the place and be like, okay, time for some gameplay. And I thought I thought that kind of like rhythm was really cool. Like I thought it was really unique. And, and yeah, it's something, and I think, it's something that works best in like as well in the Persona games when when there's not really kind of like an existential threat or an urgency like those games really work for me like I always think of it as the the kind of combat bits and the the I don't know the palaces or whatever are, are like 
the homework to the homework <laughs> that you do, which is the fun stuff. Uh, yeah, which yeah, I bet I those developers know. would say the opposite. But I, I, I'm on your side. Where it's yeah. like, you know, I want to get through all this combat and all this dire end of the world shit, so I can start. Yeah. I don't know, doing a, a nighttime job at the flower store or whatever. Exactly. Fill yeah. out these certain orders and stuff like that. Like that's the stuff that fascinates me, and that's what makes me extremely excited for your game because I think we're in the exact same headspace. Uh, last major thing: where can people find you guys on social media? And really, with what you could talk about, what are your major plans moving forward with Sable? Uh, yeah, so uh, you can find me at Shedworks Greg and Dan at Shedworks Dan. Uh, so, yeah, we're quite t- tied together there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, plans going forward. Uh, I think, yeah, we just got to make the game. Uh, we, we've we kind of, E3 took a lot out of us in terms of uh, kind of, uh, energy but also you know focus in terms of the game like we need to get back and reevaluate like where where are we going uh with this in terms of the like the literal what is the next thing i do you know not in terms of the big scope of the game like what we we know what we're doing with that quite clearly and in a way what e3 do on monday monday yeah morning. exactly exactly morning, in fact yeah <laughs> also actually we're going um, we're, we're gonna go do some talks in slovakia at uh animation festival yeah have a little break yeah so yeah it should be fun um yeah and that daniel will be talking about uh the tools that he made to make the trailer and i will be talking about architecture and games i haven't nailed it down much more than that Uh, (laughs) well uh, hopefully you guys after that can take a small break and i'm not saying a victory lap because i don't think anyone who makes games who aren't done with the games want to take a victory lap but i mean congratulations for everything so far It, it, it was really i did not know much about your game and just seeing it was this sort of revelation moment of oh my god like that's really something and i know that you have so much work to do and so many different things to consider after all these conversations but it also has to just be maybe a little bit of a weight off your shoulders to be able to see that response after working in the shed for so long to create something special and you i can't wait to see what this thing looks like when it actually comes out i can't wait to see all the changes you make and don't worry i think people will be understanding if it looks a little different by the time it comes out but uh sable's high on my list of, of games i need to play and yeah uh, great great job guys and can't wait to see the final product thank you cheers uh, thanks very much all right perfect uh, thanks everyone for listening hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099